I, I, I'm a bit kind of troubled by the idea of this being one of the people that they worship in this religion. Like, like the kind of hooded, terrifying figure is the one that you're like, oh yeah, definitely make some sacrifices there. Who keep him on side. <laughs> When she says you got to go, he says, right, while well, I'm having Solaris, we're in the Kingsguard while I'm away. But Cersei wants Osmond Kettleblack. It's like somebody told her about the phrase, shoot yourself in the foot, but didn't tell her that it was supposed to be a bad thing. Hello there. Welcome, one and all, to part six of George R. R. Martin's A Feast for Crows, brought to you by Shark Liver Oil. I'm Matt. I'm Dave, hello. And... This chat, this this time we've got four red hot chapters to get through. <laughs> Sizzling hot chapters. <laughs> um, we're going to be reading from a chapter about Sam in Bravos. Um, as far as well, the, the last chapter we're reading today is called the Reaver. The, the Reaver. Reaver. Yeah. Is this another um, Jura Mormon? Doesn't make a return in this one, does he? Just, just for the sheer joy of saying the word that way. <laughs> no, afraid not. Khaleesi, um, so- <laughs> the Reaver. Sorry, carry on. <laughs> yeah, so we're stopping at the chapter where you get to Jamie, the fields outside the walls of Darry. That's where we're not reading. That, that's where we're reading as far as today. Yeah. So, the chapter about Sam. Sam is standing by the window looking nervous. As he is, you know, he will do that, Sam, won't he? Um, <laughs> he will do a bit of nervousness. That's, <laughs> there will that's, be nervousness. That's in his wheelhouse, I'm going to say. Yeah. Um, so they've reached Bravos, him and, um, and Gilly and Darian and uh, who's the other guy? Oh, Mace Raymond. Because mm. they're on their way to Old Town, aren't they? And um, from the Night's Watch. Yeah. Uh, and it turns out that it seems that Daron, who's the, the singer, um Sam's kind of relying on him because he's the most streetwise out of all of them, which isn't saying much. And he's being pretty much useless, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> I love how rubbish he is as well. Just like just like how multiplex crap this character is. He ter- Literally, the first port he turns up in, where people talk a bit differently to him, it turns out that he wasn't sent to the wall because of his general trustworthiness. Instead, <laughs> yeah. just shagging his like- way across Bravos. Yeah, he's just arrived in Bravos and thought, you know what, I much prefer this line of work to the uh, the old Black Brothers stuff. So I think I'll just, I think I'll just stay here. I'll just do this. Post everyone else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, things are worse for Sam because uh, Maester Raymond has taken a, a serious turn for the worse. The voyage has nearly killed him. Yeah. Um, he's now uh, sort of bedridden and sort of it, Sam's paid a large chunk of what money they had on a healer who said there's nothing I can do is he's, he's a, he's a goner. Bloody so, hell. I mean, like, just as a little insight into what passes for decent medical care in societies like this. Because, I mean, I think this used to happen quite a lot back in the day. Like, doctors were paid an enormous amount of money and they would often go, oh, dearie me, no, he's not long for this world. Anyway, that'll be a tenner. Yeah. <laughs> that, that'll be that'll be one-fifth of the money you earn for the rest of your life. Thanks very much. Bye. Yeah, yeah, they really um, should insist on a sort of payments by results method to people being treated here. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, as if Sam's not aware of his basic rights as a consumer. It's uh... <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so there's this. Amos heard this rumor of dragons. Darren at least has come back every so often with rumors from the sort of taverns and stuff. One of them's about these dragons, and Amos wants to find out more. Mm. But um, 
basically Sam's trying to convince Eamon to you know let we've got to board a ship and get to World Ten, and Eamon's saying, "Look, I'm I'm pretty much done." He actually says, um, "The stranger waits outside my door, and he will not be denied," Oof. which was I thought quite a creepy, yeah. creepy thing. That to is say. pretty cold, right? Hmm. Yeah, I love that idea of sort of a hooded figure waiting to take you yeah. off, just standing outside the door saying, right, the time's time. Cop. <laughs> <laughs> <You know. laughs> and I, I, I'm a bit kind of troubled by the idea of this being one of the people that they worship in this religion. Like like the kind of hooded, yeah. terrifying figure is the one that you're like, oh yeah, definitely make some sacrifices there. Who Keep him on side. <laughs> Well, the funny thing is, with the seven, he's always the stranger is always described as the one that no one really likes to worship. They sort of, <laughs> whenever there's like a, a, seven shrines, yeah. like all the young, all the sort of boys go to the warrior to pray to him. Mm. Sort of, um, all that the older men go to the the wise ones, go to like the smith or someone like that. Um, and yeah, maybe a lot of people like the mother as well, mm. but the stranger doesn't get a lot of love <laughs> because he's just basically dead. <laughs> With one exception, mm. which is uh, the House of Black and White. <laughs> Black and White. <laughs> well, they, they love a bit of death, they, don't they? That's they what they're all about, the death. death. They do. But if anything, they would say mm. that the stranger doesn't go far enough in being death. Because mm. it should find he's death, but we need to acknowledge that every other god is basically death as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, so Sam goes out into the town to look for Darian. And he bumps into these bravos, um, who are the sort of the noblemen in um, in bravos, and they sort of they are dressed in these outrageously <laughs> colourful outfits with like the swords, and they're really good fighters, but they're always spoiling for a, you know, they, they seem they seem just massive wankers, don't they? And, and they do, bullies. don't they? My word, it's as if he's he's summed up like douche bro into a pair of medieval like tights. <laughs> yeah. I just think that's completely glorious. And I I particularly like the idea of people getting really, really ornately kind of fancy and dressed up and and you know let let's not let's not move away from the word fabulous here because they do <laughs> seem rather fabulous and and then going out and looking for a fight about it and there's something in that that I, I quite like. <laughs> Comedy yeah. alone. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um and so the, these two guys, t- these two bravos, turn up, and they're looking for a. They're basically looking to to just bully Sam. And in the yeah. end, um, this girl who uh, I assume is Arya just sort of yeah. turns up and sort of sends him on the way. She really stands up for Sam for no other reason as she. I think she just sees this poor fat guy getting bullied and thinks it's a bit harsh, and she doesn't like the bravos yeah. anyway. It was a great. Yeah. It's a great moment for Arya, isn't it? It is. It's lovely seeing, and I think I get the sense that quite a lot of time is supposed to have passed mm. between between when we saw her leave the House of Black and White and this, because she seems to be deeply into this identity of Cat of the Canals now, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I really, I, I really like this a lot because complete sucker for storylines coming together and affecting one another. Mm. And like we were saying last time, there's an enormous amount of not that in. Particularly in a feast for crows, yeah. So I'm a bit sort of I'm really quite happy that it's that this this kind of came together in this way. I love it when a plan comes together, Matt. Yeah, yeah, and it shows just a bit of the sort of the nice side of Arya still there as well. You know, the yeah, good part as well as as well as the creepy apprentice assassin stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so Sam goes into this uh, brothel and finds mm. Darian, 
um, they have this argument because Darius basically says, you know, I'm done with the Night's Watch. I'm staying here and, you know, going to sleep my way, as, as you say, sleep my way around um, the Seven Kingdoms mm. and beyond. And uh, and Sam gets so angry, he actually ends up in a fight. Love it. Love it. I love that this is what sends him over the edge. Like, <laughs> listen, you fucking knob. You've got all the money and all the skill and you're lying there on a bed surrounded by f- fucking, I'm going to... And he just sort of blacks out and then he's cracked him on the jaw. And I, I nearly cheered, yeah. literally cheered aloud. When it yeah, happened. it is. It is a real cheer moment, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. um, this guy is being just so spectacularly selfish when you've got Eamon dying in a bed around the corner. And he says, oh, I'm going out to get some firewood. And he just doesn't come back. He goes what to a brothel. And, and when he comes and finds him, he lies there going, mm. it's fine, you can have one of these as well. Oh, well, if you're going to be so boring as to try and remind me that an elderly man is dying because I'm so selfish, I just want to shag a prostitute. I'm afraid I can't <laughs> do anything for you. <laughs> Yeah, so there's this fight, and Sam ends up getting dragged out of the brothel and thrown into the canal, and he very nearly drowns because he can't yeah. swim very well. And um, at one minute, moment, he sort of tries to swim to surface and realizes he's swimming to the bottom of the canal, and he thinks, "Shit, yeah. this is it." And then this, and then he gets dragged from the canal by this massive summer islander. Yeah, um, I think summer islands are sort of, it's kind of a. It's kind of a cross between Africa and sort of the Pacific, yeah, yeah. isn't it? It's sort of it's basically Africa as islands, oh, I think, from what I can yeah, tell. Yeah. But anyway, this ma- yeah, I think so. Basically, this massive sort of summer islander pulls him out of the canal, and um, it was just for, it seems from no more than the fact it's just an act of genuine kindness yeah. that. Um, but he also says um, he heard about you know, Sam was going on about these dragons and he's, he says, Zando, as is his name, Zando knows these dragons. And you think, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what you think, isn't it? You think, shit, plot's about to kick off. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, uh, but that's where we leave it with Sam. And uh, we scoot off back to King's Landing with Jamie. Uh, Jamie is in a room with Cersei, basically just getting insulted. Which is, this is all that seems to happen whenever you put these two characters in a room at the moment. Uh, Cersei just yeah. hurls insults at Jamie. Um, yeah. It turns out she's sending him off to the Riverlands to bring some order to the Riverlands because it's still the war's mm. still sort of dragging on over there. Um, you've still got River Run under siege. Apparently, the Blackfish is there now, and he's holding out. Uh, you've got. Uh, Harren Hall, which was under the command of the mountain, but since he left, seems to have just turned into this black hole. No one really knows what's happened up there, so he's got to go and sort that yeah. out as well. Um, yeah. And there's this argument. That, that Jamie just basically takes it when um, when Cersei's having a go at him. Apart from when she says you got to go, he says, "Right, well, I'm having Soloris as the uh, as running the King's Guard while I'm away." But Cersei wants yeah. Osmond Kettleblack. <laughs> Oh, for fuck's sake. I know, again, Cersei, isn't it? Yeah. Jeez. She's like, it's like somebody told her about the phrase, shoot yourself in the foot, but didn't tell her that it was supposed to be a bad thing. It's as if she's... That's not a bad idea, that, actually. I'll probably... Yeah, just slice up right in my big toe there and just blow it into little bloody chunks. Sounds like a good idea. Yeah. Osmond Kettleblatt. And you couldn't have picked a more, like a, a better name to use to wind up Jamie as well, because it's still going around in his head what Tyrion said, you know, she's she's 
been screwing yeah. everybody. Osmond, Kettle Black, Moon Boy, for all I know. Um, <laughs> speaking of Moon Boy, actually, there's a bit here. Is it here? I think it is. Oh, it's, it's the next chapter with Cersei. But um, she's been naming all those new ships that um, that she's building. And she yeah. she allowed Tommen to name the last few. And he's named him just all after all the like people he likes. And um, she, one of them was going to be Moon Boy. Which <laughs> 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 is great. <laughs> Glorious. I, I don't know about you. I much prefer eight-year-old Tommen in the books to sixteen-year-old Tommen in the TV series. Because in the TV series, it's just like, oh, you're not long for this world. Mm. Whereas in the book, it's like you're incredible. You're you're entirely adorable. <laughs> you are totes adorbs. Yeah. What are you doing in a Game of Thrones? Yeah. I mean, you can't you can't not like a child who's got a, a kitten who's named Sir Pounds. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The only way that could be better is if he'd been a little bit older and decided to call him Sir Badass. <laughs> yeah, Sir Badass the cat. <laughs> Sir Badass the cat. I might do that anyway uh, when I get a cat. Brilliant. Just call him Sir Brilliant. Badass. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, there's definitely something to be said for Game of Thrones mashup names for all your pets from now on. <laughs> Sir Badass of Worcestershire is going to be... Sir Badass of Worcestershire. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, um, back with Jamie, though. So he is... Um, so he's leaving. Uh, mm. And he... When the Lannisters, like, this sort of Lannister contingent it's not a massive army but it's big enough leaves the city there are a few people out in the streets just sort of looking at them sullenly um and he remembers that when mace tyrell left a few weeks ago um to go and lay siege to storm's end there was this massive sort of almost festival in the streets like waving him off and cheering and he just again it just brings home just how unpopular the lannisters are as compared to the tyrells who, yeah. unsurprisingly, the Tyrells have been basically supplying all the food. <laughs> so you got to yeah. be like, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. But the Tyrells are also displaying why I think they're likely to win, you know, if this power struggle eventually reaches a conclusion, which it might not do. Because um, as we've seen, George loves abandoning a plotline. Yeah. Um, but if it does come to a conclusion, it will be the Tyrells who win because they understand politics and diplomacy. They understand mm. how to image is what they understand. Yeah, you're right. Whereas yeah, yeah. the Lannisters don't give a tuppenny fuck about little people. They've been so powerful for so long that the very idea to Cersei that, uh, you know, somebody who isn't a lord and isn't threatening her in some way could be even worth, you know, wiping the shit off her shoe on. Mm. She just wouldn't think of it. Mm. And mm, big difference. That's going to be the difference, I tell you. Yeah, that's true. Because so you've got like Marjorie wanders through the streets giving money to the poor and she's doing a similar thing with Tom and now, isn't she? And yeah, you're right. They've, yeah. they've got the PR battle won, haven't they? In terms Absolutely. of what people think. Yeah. yeah, and the funny thing is that it's not really very difficult to win that war when you're playing against Cersei, is it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, your task for today is to come off as more sympathetic than Cersei Baratheon. Yeah. Do you know what? I reckon I can do that. Yeah. Might have it done before before tea. <laughs> yeah, the Lannisters' words are hear me roar, but they could easily just be no one likes us, we don't care, couldn't they? <laughs> <laughs> House Lannister, fuck the fucking lot of you. <laughs> yeah. House Lannister, no one likes us, we don't care. And then the extended version, because we've got all the gold. Because <laughs> we've got all the gold. That should be, they should have um or whatever the Westerosi version of the Latin language is, they should have that on the uh, on the on the crest. 
<laughs> we've got all the gold. <laughs> yeah, we've got all the gold. Although not anymore, it turns out, because the uh, apparently the. Um... Oh, actually, I think this. I, I may be getting confused here. In this series, there's a moment where Tyrion Lannister says, "I don't know if you've seen this in the book. I can't quite remember, but definitely in the series, there's a moment where we probably Tywin's... haven't seen it in the book. If we haven't seen it in the book yet, we're not going to see it because Tywin's dead. Yeah, yeah, dead. Yes, <laughs> but he, but he says at some point that the um, the mines where the they have historically got all this gold from have been running dry for the last few years um, and that Ooh. you know it's kind of the, it's only the image that they're rich that is keeping them going at, at the moment now and that's probably yeah. even more so than the idiot moves of some of his kids that's probably the more yeah. sort of terminal um, affliction for the house Lannister isn't it very much and you can almost hear Tywin rolling over in his grave given given that truth hmm. Him rolling over his grave to see Cersei be like, he's going to be master of coin? Can he add up? No. Brilliant. He's the man for the job. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just um, something on on that matter. Uh, Jamie says that apparently Adam Maraband, who uh, has been the captain of the Gold Cloaks, and he's, he's leaving with Jamie now because he's a close sort of old friend, has said that yeah. the word on the street sort of in Flea Bottom is that the, uh, the common folk are calling sort of Cersei's council which is normally the small council, the smallest council, just because how <laughs> rubbish they are. Uh, Gold! Yeah. Uh, so they're off uh, on this campaign. Uh, Jamie uh, heads up. He's, I thought it was quite nice here where Jamie's sending out scouts all the time and he's posting sentries at every camp, no matter how safe it feels, because he's yeah. learnt from the last campaign where he just basically got hammered by Rob Stark at every turn. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's, I thought that was good because it shows a good, you know, a good commander and a good sort of politician learns from his yeah. mistakes, and he, he at least yeah, he's done yeah, that. very much, yeah, 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 very much. And it's particularly important in Westeros, where a single mistake will get you killed. Mm. If you're going to stay alive, you've got to be lucky. But then to stay alive again and again and again, you've got to be lucky and smart. Mm. And uh, and that's what Jamie's being here, I think. Yeah, so uh, he heads off. There's this. Oh, he's bringing um, Illan Payne along, and it turns out as as we go through this that he's he's bringing the 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 mute headsman along with him because he needs someone to train with because he's crap. He's crap with his with fighting with his wrong hand. And uh, yeah. if you want someone who's going to be able to keep a secret, someone who doesn't have a tongue Can't is quite talk. good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nice little return for Ill in Pain. It, it is. I mean, I, I don't know about you, I haven't really been hurting for the lack of Ill in Pain because he's a nasty piece of work. Mm. Um, but, I mean, I was wondering, before we got to the duel scene in this chapter, I was sort of wondering why the hell of all the people in King's Landing, Jamie was like, Ill in Pain, yeah, nice bloke, yeah, yeah, let's have him. Mm. So they, they, they head off, and one of the places they stop along the way is um, this sort of small castle run by this guy called Sir Roger Hogg. I was quite like this moment because it just shows there are these lesser lords who are just sort of running their own place and yeah. as much as possible trying to keep out of trouble. And he yeah. he's sort of on the borders of the Riverlands, but sort of in the sort of on the Lannister side. So he's one of the Lannister some of the Lannister castles, but next to the Riverlands. And he says um mm. that he's had uh, wool, like Northmen come along uh, a while back with sons on their uh, on the shield so basically Karstarks looking for Jamie, and he sent them on the way but he's also had when Amory Lork was knocking about who'd been sent to sort of cause trouble in the Riverlands 
he came over and tried sort of <laughs> to, to try to uh, it didn't storm the walls but like it was acting threateningly and it was like yeah. a i'm not in the riverlands i'm one of your guys b will you just bugger off and leave me alone <laughs> <laughs> you've done a you've done a number of things here which while recognizing my fealty to your family are pretty fucking stupid <laughs> starting at the top yeah so there's that uh, when jamie finally gets to harrenhal um he finds, I mean, it's a sorry garrison, isn't it? It's the guys who basically run with the hound are pretty vicious anyway. Um, mm. But they're pretty much all that's left. Um, and then there are a few northern prisoners uh, down in the in the dungeons who have somehow survived. It turns out yeah. survived partly from being fed the various roast body parts of Vargo Hote, <sighs> the old commander of the Bloody Mummers. Um, yeah. The when the mountain killed him piece by piece, he said, uh, "Feed the prisoners roast goat," and that's that was the goat. Because this they bring they bring uh. the they bring. I mean, Vargo Hope was a horrible piece of work, but I mean, they bring his his rotted head over, and he's had his ears, nose, and lips cut off. So the the mountain really did sort of take his time torturing this guy. Yeah. Well, I mean. It, it, at the point where you're at the mercy of the mountain, you know things aren't going to go well. Yeah. Um, although, yeah, this is another example of George Martin just really reveling in the kind of gory, unpleasant details of how how a different characters can die. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, they're sending Willis Manderley, who is uh, the fat prisoner they've got down in the dungeons, who's been eating a lot of Vargo Hope, um, probably unknowingly. Uh, they're sending him home yeah. as sort of fulfilling the terms of that agreement, which has ended up with Davis's head on a spike. Um. So he's the price that uh, that they've paid for that, and this yeah. guy called Sir Bonifer is taking over Harrenhal, along with his mm. Holy Hundred. Uh, this is a a it's sort of is a Lannister man, but he's like a fan, almost a not quite as religiously fanatic as say the Sparrows, but a very yeah. very devout guy, and um and he's got these sort of it's actually only about eighty five eighty six after they lost a few at the Blackwater, but this sort of elite force of um very pious knights who serve him and they're the guys who are yeah. going to try and hold Harrenhal. I do quite like the idea of Harrenhal being handed over to people who are kind of like, I'm a badass, I fear no evil. I just kind of want to see how that goes down. Mm. Do you know what I mean? If they if they banish the curse yeah. through sheer force of morality or if they just get eaten alive by it like everybody else. Yeah, well, there's quite an interesting um, sort of conflict in that area now sort of a classic insurgents against um against an occupying force where you've got sir bonifer at harrenhal and he says you know i've got lancel lannister over at duskendale and randall tarley at maidenpool not far away so between us we'll bring these outlaws to justice and it's basically sort of yeah um this disparate um force of uh you know uh I don't know, guerrilla force just attacking people when they're showing... Uh, attacking the occupying force when they show any weakness. And yeah. the these three big armies trying to sort of bring the region under control. And that was quite um, interesting. Mm. I mean, and for all yeah. we hate Randall Tarley, if you're Sir Bonifer, he's probably the kind of guy you do want just down the road who can come and fuck shit up if you need it. <laughs> yeah, and that's true. For Sir Bonifer, it's definitely a good thing. But tell you what, I, I, I was thinking about this, and I hadn't, I hadn't reflected very much on how good a move this is by George having this, having this war turn into 
like uh, roving bands of, like you say, this insurgency idea. Because mm. I think that's what happens almost everywhere where you have this breakdown of order, mm. um, which pays, you know, where where the little people don't have any attention paid to them, mm. is that these kind of, you know, the, the structures of who controls, like, power and violence kind of break down. And then they end up, you know, you end up with these kind of irregulars or these people who are like, kind of, I'm not a lord, but I'm going to do better by you than your lord did, so how about you put up with me around? And everybody says, yeah, great. Mm. Um, I think that's quite telling. Yeah, definitely. Um, and there's plenty more sort of to come with that you imagine in this area uh, and and the, the final part of, of Jamie's chapter is he goes down to the bear pit you know where um, he saved Brienne's life back in the oh, yeah. days of the bear in the maiden fair and um, yeah there's this guy, Red Ronick Connington, down there, who is one of the people who had been betrothed to Brienne at some point in the past and T makes mm. a couple of sort of quips about it um, and how ridiculous it was that he was even going to marry someone so ugly and Jamie punches him. And it's just interesting, just as far as a, a reminder of just how Jamie's sort of attitude towards Brienne has changed. Because, you know, before yeah. they went on that sort of odd couple journey back to King's Landing, yeah. he'd have been the first to join in with that kind of stuff, wouldn't he? But he's very different yeah. now. Yeah, he is very much. I, I mean, I think this is all part of the journey that he's on, right? Where he is a horrendous human being hmm. but who has who is increasingly lamenting the lack of actual honor and kind of like goodness in his life basically hmm. um and then and and you know Brienne to him is is a similar all of that which is why he gave her a sword called Oathkeeper which is of course everything he's not hmm. so you know i think that's quite that's quite a powerful thing yeah this, just this little scene, yeah, absolutely hauling off and twatting in one. I thought it was great. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Uh, we move on to Cersei. Cersei's on her way through the streets of King Land- King's Landing to visit the new High Septon, who's been installed. Um, mm. as she's, while she's on the way, she's still looking for dirt on Marjorie. She's chatting to um, to this lady, what's she called? Um, Merryweather. Um, trying to find out any dirt she can on Marjorie, but she's struggling a bit. She seems a bit too goody two-shoes. Um, the, the 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 problem that they have here is she, she she's in this litter sort of being taken through the uh, through the town, but then they have to stop because they can't get to the sept because there are so many of these um, sparrows, you know, these um, poor uh, religious fanatics camped outside the the sept. It's uh, it's like a sea of tents. It it sounded a bit like a medieval version of like Occupy Wall Street. It's just like loads of people, <laughs> loads of commoners yeah. there, you know. It's surprisingly powerful, isn't it? Yeah. The sight of this. I mean, we it's been done in the TV series and it's done in a montage as a very kind of threatening, whoa, violence that nobody can control kind of piece. Yeah. But I actually think it's really interesting to see somebody who's not scared Yeah. of this, of this power. Somebody who's just like, well, what did you do for me recently? On the other hand, I believe in my gods and I've got a big stick, so... What are you gonna do? Yeah, yeah, very powerful. And the fact that it, you get a real, a much more of a sense in the book that this is a large, uh, at least a you know f- fairly large popular uprising. It isn't just sort yeah. of you know twenty fanatics going around breaking a load of ale bar- barrels and shutting down brothels. It's uh, you know it's, it's hundreds of people are, are involved in this. Um, yeah. Speaking of showing no fear, Cersei sees them 
not as a threat at all, but just as a complete annoyance. And she says, right, I'm getting out and walking through them. She gets yeah. halfway through. She sees that there are all these bones piled up around the uh, statue of Baylor, and she thinks it's a disgrace. And then she hears that um, it's actually the bones of people who've been, like holy people who've been killed uh, during the war. Um, she gets They get surrounded. It's her and basically two members of the Kingsguard walking through this sea of sparrows, which is quite a dangerous thing to do and she doesn't seem to be bothered at all um yeah but she is aware of the threat much more so than her guards when um things start getting there's this conversation and things start getting a bit you know you feel like it's getting tense and there are people standing around with weapons and Merrin yeah. Trant, one of the king's guard goes for his sword and cersei stops him because she at least can see that they're all going to get killed here because only three of them and no matter how well armoured they are, um, it's, it's basically a mob surrounding them. And she's seen what happened in King's Landing when the mob attacked yeah. with Joffrey back in the day. And yet she's so insanely wedded to her sense of self-importance mm. that she doesn't think that. She doesn't have a moment where she's like, oh, well, I mean, shit nearly went south last time I did this. Yeah. Maybe, I'll, maybe I'll not conduct myself in an abominably arrogant manner. Yeah. Ah, no, fuck it. Send out my armed men. Nothing can go wrong. <laughs> I think it's again it's just this there's never any sense of forward planning with Cersei is it she just deals with things as they happen and here there is a load of sort of people to walk through so fine I'll just walk through them and suddenly she's surrounded and it's getting a bit dangerous and she very quickly thinks right can we cut our way through probably not best not do that let's just talk our way through she can sort of deal with things one at a time she just can't she just doesn't do a strategy does she she doesn't think a step ahead Yeah, and you would think that somebody like that would have the life expectancy of a leaf in an incinerator, Mm -hmm. but somehow she's still alive, running the country. (laughs) Yeah, Um, they make it into the Sept, finally, and uh, the old sort of people just below the High Septon who always used to welcome her in, so the guys who didn't have the top job but had the sort of tier beneath, um, one of them's ended up just scrubbing the floor now. And it's mm. this sense of a complete revolution in the church and that all yeah. the old sort of hierarchy has been blown away by this popular uprising. And now yeah. it's just, I mean, the new High Septon is just this sort of normal bloke who's also scrubbing the floors um, in yeah. bare feet. And yeah. Um, he, yeah, he isn't exactly particularly deferential to Cersei either. You know, yeah. he, he actually even mentions the execution of Ned Stark as a sort of something yeah. that defiled the sept, uh, like yeah. sort of accusatory at Cersei. Um, yeah. It doesn't look like it's going to go well, this relationship, does it? No, it doesn't. And and I'm kind of... I mean, I've the, the TV series handled this a bit differently, so I kind of already know what tone the TV t- series is taking with these guys. And it does turn them into basically, like, unhinged suicide bombers almost. Um but in the books at this point, I still have a vague hope. I'm like, fucking yeah, speak truth to power, put the boot in. Do you know what I mean? Like, I kind of, I was quite enjoying that. Yeah. Um, just because somebody badly needs to look Cersei Lannister in the face and be like, you're a knob. Mm. And nobody's doing that right now. Well, Cersei wants um, the new High Septon to bless Tommen to sort of, because this is always a, a useful way of um, giving a bit more legitimacy to the king if he's getting yeah. the support of the High Septon and, and then by extension, you know, the gods. Um, yeah. But this new High Septon says he won't do it because there are, um, like, there are whole, as, as you see with the bones by the 
statue, there are holy people being killed in the king's realm and no one seems to be doing anything about it. And Cersei's um, solution is to let the holy people look after themselves, basically, and and arms them and brings back this this sect called the Faith Militant, which is yeah. um, basically sort of... It's basically you've, you've got these sparrows who are already quite looking on the verge of being violent. Now you're saying, right, you know, um, if you want to get some... recruit some lords and stuff who want to be particularly religious, they can join you and carry weapons and just defend the faith. Um yeah risky move uh and also the, the sort of <laughs> yeah and the response to that sort of she's getting something in return which is they write off the debt that the uh crown owes to the to the faith yeah so that's sort of a bit of a quid pro quo but um it feels like you're opening the sort of pandora's box a bit here yeah it's a little bit like saying i will release this like herd of cats on the city and i presume they're only going to shit in the places i tell them to shit like there's just she can have no sane expl- expectation that she has control over what's going to happen next like she's negotiating with a guy who is the only person in the entire city who's showing a cheeky disrespect and her response to that is to be like far far from being like i see a plot a plot <laughs> Far from doing Which that, is her specialism. she goes, she, she always some sees plots. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So how is it the only person that actually speaks bluntly to her face is the person she goes, you, you will be my minister of poorly controlled guerrilla warfare. Go, go. <laughs> no, no. Um, yeah, well, one of the reasons she thinks um, these will help be sort of the, the faith militant will be more of a blessing than a curse for her is that she thinks, she says, you know, Tommen is... Um, the defender of the uh, the seven and um, wants you to be safe and compare that to Stannis who obviously his big thing is the red god and the red woman so it's almost this she's relying on this clash of two religions to give her sort of the Lannisters and the and the king prophet here um, yeah. basically saying the enemy of my enemy is my friend you know yeah, yeah, um, yeah. that's the that's the plan anyway um and she's very pleased with it. She's like, if if Dad could see me now, you know, I've I've written off the debt and I've got myself an army. You know, it's it's all going swimmingly. And yeah, and, and to be honest with you, the hubris of that makes me quite happy because surely it means that fairly soon I'm going to see the uh, the beginning of the fall of Cersei, and that'll make me quite happy. <laughs> um, the only the other bit to, uh, to 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 say at the end of this chapter is uh, there's this. She sees Marcella in the uh, not Marcella, um, Marjorie in the crowd as she's making her way back to the palace. Marjorie's doing her PR work again, and she's got Soloris with her. And uh, Lady Merriweather says, "You know, Soloris." Oh, uh, Marjorie says, oh, "You know, Soloris comes everywhere with me. Um, that's why I always feel safe." And when mm. Cersei's on her way back to the palace, she's thinking, "Yeah, I remember when. That's why I felt when Jamie was around." And then she's thinking, huh. mm, by extension, I remember what else we got up to. Mm, maybe there's a maybe there's a rumor brewing here, which I could use to my advantage. Yeah, I, I hope that she is just saying it for rumors' sake, rather than thinking that. Well, that's what I used to say about my brother, and I was shagging my brother. So I presume everybody who says that must be shagging their brothers. <laughs> yeah, that might be it actually. Yeah. <laughs> Like, which is so she's either here being politically canny or unbelievably 
stupid and insane, both of which we've seen in her. So yeah. who can say? Every chance of both. Um, the next chapter is called, it's another midlog, drumroll please, please welcome onto the seas, the Reaver. <laughs> Not to be confused with the Weaver who just sits there. Making <laughs> that would be that would be far more chilled out, wouldn't it? <laughs> if this had been the Weaver, Victorian looked up, looked at the sea, and thought, "By jingo, I'm happy I don't sail around on that anymore, killing and raping as I please." <laughs> yeah. And he looked back down towards his work and carefully pulled the straw over the other straw, <laughs> weaving. Yeah, I've quite enough to contend with with my new basket I'm making. <laughs> 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 anyway, no, that isn't the Weaver, it's the Reaver. Uh, so, Victorian is obviously, as we saw before on the, um, on the Iron Islands, the uh, younger son of uh, Euron, who's become the king of the Iron Islands. And he's, I mean, this guy, I mean, he's not so great at diplomacy. He's not the brightest bulb on the tree, if we're honest. But, um, oh my goodness, can he fight? He's pretty much like a one man tank, isn't he? Um, He's I mean, ridiculous. we're introduced to him leaping onto an enemy ship, surrounded by like enemies, and they all go, "Look, he's on his own." And he just goes, "Come, kill me if you can," and then <laughs> just sets about just absolutely causing carnage. <laughs> Mental. <laughs> <laughs> I I quite like I quite like the bit where in the middle of the in the middle of the battle on board ship fighting chaos all around play armor the rest of it he sees the guy that he wants to kill and goes you <laughs> yeah. your name and the guy <laughs> takes his helmet off yeah. and goes i am such and such i am sir whoever it is <laughs> and he comes this close to saying lovely to meet you yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's just of all the places not to observe the niceties yeah i would have thought you know yeah this guy's a called um i think he's called is it Talbot Seri? So Sir Talbot Seri is basically uh, like a, a younger son of uh, of one of the major Tyrell lords, and yeah, yeah they, they they sort of end up meeting on the ship and uh, having this sword fight, which it's a pretty good fight actually, and very nearly gets killed. It's only the fact that he sort of catches um, he catches the guy's sword in his in his mailed fist and sort of throws it into the sea. And then yeah. sort of throws the the Lord in over after it as well, but uh, it, obviously some yeah. grievous wound. Can you imagine sort of just grabbing a sword? And it's it's, it's already yeah. Uh, it's a it's, it's, he says it's Castle Forge steel as well. So it's a bloody sharp one as well, and just yeah. sort of squeezing it. And again, it just shows the sort of the power of this of this guy, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, really, really impressive battle wise. Hmm. It's funny because he. I mean, every. All the way through this chapter, you see how he's very simple, um, Victorian, isn't he? And he sees things in black and white very easily. And um, he knows what he knows, similar to Tali, I suppose. And there's this bit where mm. uh, when he looks at a lot of these sailor, the Tyrell sailors, he um, he has no respect for them because they're all wearing sort of very light armour because obviously they're on a boat and they don't want, if they fall in the sea, they don't want to drown. But um, this... This sort of captain or the, this lord who he kills is wearing full armor, and he re- respects him a bit more for that. Um, yeah, I tell he did something really stupid, and it led almost directly to his horrible death by drowning. Respect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hashtag respect. <laughs> Hashtag YOLO. <laughs> Hashtag I made sure of it. <laughs> 
Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, this turns into a massive victory for the uh, for the fleet, for the Ironborn fleet here. Um, the, it turns out, as, as the sort of, as the camera, if you like, zooms out from the victory on this one ship, it shows, you, you can see the sort of, you can imagine the rest of the, these ships which have sailed along, Ironborn ships, which have basically routed the, um, yeah. the Tyrell fleet or the, um, yeah, I think it was the final tally eventually gets mentioned and it's sort of Victorians lost six ships and the Tyrells have lost 38. So it's a massive win. Um, yeah. It's quite interesting how this plan's worked because they've basically sailed down from the Iron Islands to um, the mouth of this river. I think it's called the Manda, which you can go all the way up and um, you can sort of create carnage all the way up that river and raid a load of the sort of rich... Um, prosperous lands of the Tyrells if you can get into it but the way that they protect that river the Tyrells is they've got these four yeah. little islands at the end of it called the shields and yeah. if whenever like the ironborn raiding parties turn up which you know they tend to do um the the sort of the shields respond and send out their their ships and sort of chase them off but this time they've done a bit of a bait and switch he's sent a few raiders up the river so drawn out most of the navy and then he sent the rest of his force in to mop up whilst they're away so um it's a big win it's it's as if they're good at this or something i honestly i've been previously writing off these people as like like meatheads drowning in their own malevolence yeah but it turns out they are but they've also got a certain amount of you know skill yeah, props. I suppose they're very much the experts of sort of of, of seaborne warfare, aren't they? As, but as far yeah, as we've seen, much, this yeah. is the first real example we've got of it in the wider sort of politics of the Iron Islands now. So Euron's the king, and um, do you remember Euron, the uh, the guy who likes a dip in the sea in the freezing cold, <laughs> <laughs> who derives religious ecstasy from a dip in the sea in the cold. Yeah, he's not happy. Um, and he's just sort of wandering around causing trouble back at, on the Iron Islands now. Um, and yeah. and Asher, uh, Theon's sister, who also made a claim for the throne, she's fled. So the Ironborn have taken over the shields. It turns, turns out that they've actually... They're actually selling a few of the people who live on there into captivity. They're starting to trade in yeah. slaves now, which is yeah. they've never done before. Yeah. But uh, Euron thinks it's a, a chance to turn a tidy profit, so he's starting to do that. Yeah, yeah. but Euron definitely seems a little bit unhinged, doesn't he, during this? He's not just oh, yeah. sort of a, a rational bastard. Hmm. He's really gone off the deep end in some fairly serious ways. <laughs> not the least of which is finding basically the only guttering spark of human warmth that existed amongst the ironborn and extinguishing it because they used to have thralls right rather than slaves yeah. like that you know their kids weren't slaves and they were basically slaves with i mean with slightly fewer detriments yeah um but it was it was a standard it was a moral thing that they were like no we're not going to be as harsh as we could be here and then euron's like oh, what shall i change well that obviously uh, far too nice is what we've been in the past. Yeah. Like, oh, it's like a it's like a race to the bottom. It's like who can be the biggest bastard quickest with you. <laughs> well, you can tell Euron's complete, like sort of kind of crazy as well because he just tends to throw in things that are mad as if it's normal, which is the classic example of it. I mean, there's a bit towards the end of the chapter where he says, "Oh yeah, he's drinking this um, what was it uh, shade of the evening?" Which, if you remember when 
Daenerys was in Carth. It's what these warlocks drink to give them visions and stuff. And it turns yeah. the lips blue. And he's got into that. No, it turns turns out. But he says he got a cask of it from these four warlocks. And it's like, yeah, one of them threatened me. So um, I fed him to the other three. Um, and, you know, when they got hungry enough, they ate him. And he says it as if, like, in the same way, you'd say, you know, um, he wanted me to pay a tenner for it, but I knocked him down to a fiver. And, you know, and Victorian's sitting there like, <laughs> um, yeah, thinking that, Mm, that's pretty crazy. <laughs> it doesn't yeah, sound like you realise how but crazy. But smiling that is. and nodding, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, there's this big, big party on a, on the island, big feast uh, that they have in, um, and the only person who's really standing there's, there's this guy, uh, Horlow, uh, Lord Lord of Horlow, who, um, if you remember, was like Asher's sort of favourite uncle. And he is sort of wandering around basically saying, you know, the shit storm is coming. We may have, may have won this battle, but the rest of the Tyrell force is going to come down on us eventually. Um, yeah. It looks like Euron's basically rode into this castle, which was owned by, um, who was the guy? Oh, Lord Hewitt. And he's basically turned it all on its head insofar as the, uh, like, the ladies of the castle now have been um, told to serve sort of the food and be cut bearers and stuff. And in the end, he makes them all take the clothes off as well, just because he's such a bastard. Um, and the you're not kidding, yeah. And the uh, the lord, um, Lord Hewitt, is sort of tied up in a chair with a radish in his mouth, which just the touch of the radish is, <laughs> it makes it sort of darkly comic, but bloody weird. That's true, which is clearly what he's going for, right? But yeah. I, I'm still, yeah. I, I, I want to laugh at that from precisely this distance, no closer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting that during this feast, he says, you know, right, I'm, I want to, uh, we're all going to head off now to Slaver's Bay, get some dragons and come back. And the Ironborn are all like, um, ugh, you know what? I'd rather just sort of keep reaving along the coast here and, you know, not do yeah. this dangerous mission across the ocean. To um to Slavers Bay where none of us even know really exists, and yeah. Euron sort of it's I thought this was good because it shows how um it's still sort of weirdly bloodily democratic the Ironborn like they all shout yeah. the king down and he just sort of yeah. runs off and just leaves them to yeah. it because you can't By say then. order order I'm the boss you must do what I say on the Iron Islands can you yeah or or if you do they'll be like foreigner. <laughs> and find some reason to pull you limb from limb. Yeah, yeah. And what did you make? What do you make of the whole sort of direction of the Ironborn now? Because this is something that the series just it just they just disappear in the series. It seems. So yeah, just not done anything. Them. Yeah, yeah. Where I'm interested, I am. I think it's really interesting seeing this riff, and they are kind of like bleakly intriguing, even if it is fairly depressing to be around them for any length of time. Mm. Um. But I, it does strike me as being important because they are this quite major force, and particularly because they're doing this traveling across the seas and oceans, you know, finding Valyria and so on. Mm. Um, you know, which is supposed to be this lost land like Numenor in um, in the Lord of the Rings or Atlanta, Atlantis, Atlanta exists, Atlantis, exactly <laughs> the ways. Um, you know, like it's supposed to be, it's supposed to be like like that. So I feel like that's going to pull some important things into the plot. I hope, mm. um, but. Uh, but at the same time, I wouldn't put it past George to just put them all on boats now and be like, 
uh, you know, they sail off across the world and at the, the end of the seventh novel, they returned in the quickest possible time for the round trip they travelled on, looking a little bit frazzled and saying, don't ask. <laughs> yeah. and, that's, and I can just imagine him doing that. <laughs> yeah. Well, it looks like the, most of them aren't up for, for leaving at all anyway. Um, but we have this conversation between Victorian and Euron in Euron's room later on. Um, mm. And there are a couple of things to pick out of this. One is, do you remember the um, Euron sort of one of his sort of underlings blew this dragon horn um, at the mm. king's moot to shut everybody up, and it was this massive mm. moment. And the guy sort of staggered back with smoke coming out of his mouth at the end of it. It turns out he died, um, and they sort of cut him open, and his lungs were just like black. They just he basically burned up inside. So, um, well, hmm. if that's true, I mean, that makes sense because we did see that he, like, which we were doing this last time, weren't we, where he's like, his lips were literally on fire. Hmm. Um, and, like, so this sounds plausible. And if it is plausible, it seems like Euron's not just, forgive me, blowing smoke with this horn business and that it is actually something to do with dragons. Yeah. Um, so, you know, fairly serious. I'll tell you what I liked about this exchange as well, is where where um, Euron's like, I had a dragon egg once. And Victorian's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> what happened to it? And Euron goes, throw it overboard. I was drunk. I was angry. <laughs> <laughs> this is the man you want going and getting dragons to control. <laughs> yeah, he does just, in the same way he has that sort of the, the thing about the warlocks, he just says it as, like, as if it's the most natural thing in the world, isn't it? Yeah, I had this priceless dragon's egg, which uh, could have hatched a dragon, which I'm obsessed with getting hold of. I was chucked it in the sea. I was drunk. <laughs> I was leathered. <laughs> I'll level with you. I wasn't very happy. I had a few. I had a few more. <laughs> I was very, very drunk. <laughs> Can you imagine if Lord of the Rings had riffed off of that? You know, Frodo, where's the ring? Threw it in the sea. I got really angry. <laughs> You could just imagine him waking up in the morning going, oh, my head is killing me. Oh, where's that egg? What? I can't I can't find that dragon's egg. And then suddenly having a flashback to him sort of standing on the deck going, <laughs> be gone, dragon egg. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck, I did do that. Oh, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> oh, the regret. <laughs> 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 Couple of bottles of Uzo Destructo. <laughs> With a regret. <laughs> yeah. So that yeah, that's what happened to the last. <laughs> there were there were. Uh, it turns out there were four priceless dragon's eggs that survived the Valyrian doom. Three of them made the way to Daenerys, and the other one ended up at the bottom of the sea after Euron and two bottles of Uzo Destructo came across the path. <laughs> Um, but to his credit Euron not a man to let that kind of thing get him down he's got a plan to get the rest of the dragons the other three the ones that didn't end up at the bottom of the sea um, by marrying Daenerys and the way he's going to do it is he's going to send Victorian over there to bring her back so he can marry her and Victorian Victorian's like okay I'll do that but actually I'm going to marry her myself uh, I love the fact that it, both of these guys just assume that Daenerys is going to be well up for that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's almost it's the equivalent of the sort of like like ignorant knobhead 
whose who's chat technique has never had to go beyond, hello, darling, <laughs> nice ass, and, and just, like, walking up to, like, the queen or something, like, and trying that, and just being like, what do you mean it didn't work? What do you mean? It always works. <laughs> yeah. So, I don't know. Did, did, has that left you looking forward to Victorian's journey over to Slaver's Bay, or are you thinking that's just another extra character that I'm not that bothered about? Um, I mean, George has put time into it, so I've put time into it, so I'm on board. Um, to be honest with you, I'm quite looking forward to him getting there and getting torn limb from limb by a dragon. <laughs> that's going to be quite entertaining. Every chance that's going to happen, isn't it? Every chance. Okay, so um, that is as far as we're going for today. If you're reading along with us, then next week we're reading from the Jamie chapter, I just mentioned, which is the next one. As far as a chapter about Sam... Page 645, by my reckoning, which is... Well, it's quite a long, big chunk, this. 645. Chapter about Sam, which begins, The cinnamon wind was a swan ship. It certainly was. Find out more yeah. next week. Uh, and I'm also, obviously, any thoughts on the book or the podcast, you can get them into us at... Uh, sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com that's sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com or send us them on twitter at sharkliveroil um, oh the other thing to mention is um, we've had a little bit of a mini spike in um, in listenership from what I can see from the statistics recently so um, if you're one of these new listeners and you want to get more involved either send us some comments or stick a little iTunes review on uh, our page because that that helps us as well if you go to iTunes and that can bump us up the charts a bit. We're we're nothing if not uh, not star whores. Definitely, definitely. Ratings, ratings whores is what we are. Yeah, stick a five star rating. Don't stick a one star on. If you're gonna do that, forget it. Not interested in those. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not certain you're allowed to exercise this level <laughs> no, of control no, no. over people's opinion. We'll be silencing the naysayers. <laughs> um, Fuck, he's gone mad. We're doing this book for too long. Tell it next week we're doing Mary Poppins. All right, Mary Poppins. Right. Okay. Well, until next time, I'm off to go and establish a network of secret police to make sure you all leave the correct type of <laughs> feedback. <laughs> he's gone. He's gone full Cersei. Everybody, send help. Fuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's good job my brother's quite far away. They would be in for a surprise. <laughs> oh, oh, nobody needs that. He listens to this as well. Dearie me. Right. See you next time, anyway. <laughs> okay. You survive. Okay.